You are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit LifeLightChurch.org. Well, we began a discussion a couple of weeks ago about things of the scripture. And what I tried to point out is that things... Um, are really important to understand because the Bible is a really big book written by a lot of people over a lot of time. And any honest review is going to say there are parts that are confusing. There are parts that seem almost contradictory. And what do you do with these things? And what I would like to suggest is if you take the themes of the scripture and hold on to those, those guide you through the parts that seem confusing, the parts that say, what in the world is this about? Or how does this fit with this? They seem to be going opposite directions. The themes pull them together. They make sense of the confusing parts and they present one single call for your life. Um, So that's what I want to talk to you about as we continue that discussion this morning. You know, as you look at the Bible, uh, there's a lot of different perspectives and people get kind of distracted and they stumble along things about, um, you know, is it literally, you know, all the different passages, is it inerrant or is it uh, infallible and how do you handle the contradictions? The Ten Commandments say, don't kill. Very clear. But then as you follow the Israelites, God's command is go in there and kill everybody. These are your enemies. Wipe them all out. And you say, how can this fit together? And, you know, there are problems. But focusing on the themes help put that all together. Again, remind you that the Bible was not intended to be a textbook, a college textbook. It was never meant to be a science textbook in terms of how creation was done. It wasn't intended to be a historical textbook. It was really about a journey of a chosen people. As they began to understand more and more how much God loved them. And that's the journey that we are invited to as we read the scriptures. There's the question, is the Bible inerrant? In other words, is there not a mistake anywhere from cover to cover? And some people think that. There's the accuracy of the Bible. And before we can really look at that, you know, the power of the Bible. Again, I think the the themes help us make sense of this. The Old Testament was not meant to be a history book. It was meant to be a journey, a journey of people moving closer to God. And they are a miniature of all of our journeys. And so as we see the different things that Israelites went through over the thousands of years, and we see the different stumbles and the different victories they had, we can relate this and say, I'm on a similar journey. Personally, individually, all of us are. So the purpose of the book was to give glory to God. It was not meant to be a textbook. Uh, And so as we go through that, um, you come to two different perspectives on the scripture. Is it inerrant or is it infallible? And infallible means it doesn't fail. Infallible. It will not fail. Inerrant means that there is not a single mistake or conflict anywhere within the whole book and some people really get distracted by this and I think this is one of the topics that probably churches just get way bogged down in is you know 
Is it literally and factually true on every statement? And, I mean, you can go where you want to with that, but if you really believe that, then you've got a God who has feathers. Because Psalms tells us that he covers us with his wings of protection. Well, if you're going to take the perspective that it is inerrant, then we have a God with wings and feathers. Obviously, the verse is trying to communicate a point and not tell you that there's a great big chicken up there with big feathers that he spreads out over the whole world. To say it's infallible means it never fails. It cannot fail. That if any sincere heart should come to the scriptures looking for God, they will find him. So whether you choose one side or the other, it's not really the point. The point is the book is a powerful, inspired word of God that will not fail. That if people come to the word and the passages of scripture, scripture looking for God they will find him so as we look at these themes I want to look at an Old Testament story that I think helps point this out and the theme I want to look at or the story I want to look at is the story of Samson which for many is a very problematic story you've got this long magic hair and as long as his hair is there he's like Superman you cut the hair he's just like you and me basically a wimp but with the magic hair he can do anything Okay, and so it's one of the heroes of the Old Testament, and this is the very kind of story that makes the Bible seem unreal to people. What is the deal with the magic hair? And so I think, let's just review the story for a second. There is this guy in the book of Judges, chapter 13, and an angel of the Lord comes to his parents beforehand and says, you're going to have a special child. And because he's going to be so special, he needs to take this Nazareth vow, which is a vow that even today, Conservative Jews take it's a, a symbol of their dedication and their devotion to God to where they never cut their hair. And even today, there are Jews that will let the, the locks along the side of their head just grow and grow and grow. And you may have seen pictures of them. And it's a long braided lock. And it's a symbol of an inner dedication. It itself is not dedication because anybody can grow long hair. But it's pointing to something inside. It's an outward symbol of an inner decision. So this angel of the Lord comes to his parents before he's born, back in the 13th chapter of Judges, and says, hey, this guy is going to be amazing. He's going to really help the people of Israel. As a symbol, he's not supposed to ever cut his hair, and it shows that he is set aside, dedicated to God. And you know some of the story. they got the Philistines, which are the enemies of God's people, and they have overtaken the Israelites. So they now occupy the land. And they take part of the harvest, and they take part of the cows, and they take part of all the crops, and they, they're the oppressors. And they are God's enemy as well as Israelites' enemy. So Samson comes in and kind of pushes them back, and he is super powerful. So he falls in love with a Philistine woman, and his parents will say, wait a minute, isn't there somebody among us that will work for you? But God was all in this, and he goes to <coughs> the wedding and there's this weird story about he tells this riddle. And uh, if you can figure out the riddle, he tells the bridal party, I'll give you 30 full sets of clothes. If you can't, then you have to give me 30 sets of clothes. Just kind of an odd thing. Well, his wife, who is a Philistine, persuades him to tell because they say, if you don't tell us, we're going to burn you alive. So obviously she gets him to tell and he tells her this riddle. 
And so now he's got to come up with 30 sets of clothes. So he goes out to some Philistine village and he kills 30 Philistine men. He takes their clothes and he gives them to these guys. as Kind of a weird story, right? Then he goes back for his wife. And while he's been gone doing this, they have given his wife to someone else. Someone else at the bridal party. Well, he's furious. As you would be. So the story goes that he captures 300 foxes. You know, the little fox with a tail. He ties them up in pairs, their tails together, and to each pair he attaches a torch, a flaming torch. He lets them run through the whole area, and he burns down their crops, their grains, their vineyards, their olive garden, olive orchards, everything. Their groves, everything is burned down because he's furious. Another story that's a little weird, you know. How does anybody capture 300 foxes? And how do you tie their tails together? And then how do you attach a torch to the fox without getting bit or whatever? You know, it's just like, you think the logistics of that, that's pretty complicated. <laughs> but he does this. So it goes on and on. And finally, he meets this woman named Delilah. And you've heard of Delilah. She is also a Philistine, an enemy of, the God, of God and his people. But he falls in love with her. And the people come to her and say, we'll offer you more silver than you can ever spend. If you will get him to tell us, tell you the secret of how his strength, why is he so strong? So she says, tell me, tell me, tell me. If you love me, tell me. Don't keep this from me. You can imagine how she just pleads and begs and whatever. And he says, okay, here's the deal. You take a bowstring. You tie me up with a bowstring. I'll become as helpless as any other man. He falls asleep. She ties her up with both strings. She says, the Philistines are here. He jumps up, snaps the strings. Obviously didn't work. Third time. Tell me, tell me, tell me. How can you say you really love me if you don't tell me? Okay, I'll tell you. You get brand new ropes that have never been used for any purpose. Brand new ropes. And wrap me up with those. I'll become just as weak as anybody else. She, he falls asleep, tie her up with ropes. The first thing you hear, she yells, jumps up, snaps the rope. <sighs> okay, tell me, tell me, tell me, how can you tell me? So finally he says, look, this is the deal. I got these long braids of hair. If these braids were somehow woven with a loom into another fabric, I'd become as helpless as anybody else. Strange thought, but he falls asleep. She gets this loom. She weaves his braids into this other fabric. The Philistines are here. He grapes up, breaks it still. So three times. Now she says, now you're making a fool of me. If you really love me, tell me. All right, here's the deal. I'm a Nazarite. I've been set aside for God. These braids indicate that my life is all about God. And he is number one in my life. If th my hair was cut, it would mean I've given up on that, that commitment. And I would become as helpless as any man. You know the story. He falls asleep. She cuts his hair. The Philistines show up. The Philistines are here. He wakes up. He's got no strength. They gouge out his eyes. They handcuff him. They take him to prison. They make him grind out stones in prison. Then they're having this big feast and festival to their god, Dagon who they think gave them power over Samson and over the Israelites and has made them the ruler over that nation. So there's this big pavilion and there's just 
people everywhere and they're celebrating to Dagon about how he has given him victory and he is more powerful than Yahweh and all this other stuff. And there's people on the roof and there's people underneath and they say, hey, let's drag out Samson and make fun of him at this time too. So they drag him out for prison and he's there and he's been doing some crazy things, who knows what, and he's leaning against the post. He can't see, he doesn't have any eyes. And he speaks to the guy who's guarding him. He says, hey, could you just put my hands out so I could rest against the pillars? And so he does this, and the place is packed with people. And he says his prayer. He says, help me. Help me. And so he pushes these pillars down. The place collapses. There were a thousand people on the top. He says in his death, he slayed more of God's enemies than in his life. So then you got to ask yourself, what in the world does this story have to do with my life? And I can tell you right now, as I sit here with the appearance in my daily life that I have right now, I struggle to relate to magic hair. I struggle to relate to any hair. It's just not part of my life right now. So I have to ask me, what in the world does magic hair have to do with me? But to understand this story, we have to go into the context, the Jewish context. His life was dedicated to God. God was supposed to be first. The hair was just a symbol of that. But as he fell in love with Delilah, as he let himself gradually move to a place of trusting her more than trusting God, he gave up who he was. And when he gave up his relationship with God, the strength and the purpose of who he was was lost. Now, I can relate to that. I can relate to a life that is tempted by distractions, that looks at things more important than my spiritual journey, that puts relationships with others in front of God. We can all relate to that. My career, my possessions, my relationships. I mean, we're all tempted to put our value there and to think this makes me who I am. This makes me significant. This makes me happy. And that's exactly what Samson did. And it's epitomized in the fact that he says, cut my hair and I'll be just like anybody else. It was almost an invitation. I'm not the person I was anymore. And when she does, he realizes I've lost the value of who I am, the focus and the trust. Because Samson trusts God and has a special relationship with God. He has the strength of God in his life and he can live an amazing life. Everyone here can say that's true of you. If you trust God, if you put him first in your life, you will have the strength of God in your life and you will live an amazing life. Now you're not going to be tying foxes tails together and tying torches to them. And you're not going to be pushing temples down and collapsing them on yourself and other people. But you can live an amazing life. You can live a life that's full of purpose, that has an identity, that has meaning and power to see you through struggles and hardships that will come. That's what this story is about. Someone who puts God first will have power, will have identity, can make it through the hardships of life. I can relate to that. You can relate to that. It's true for you today, just like it was thousands of year ago, years ago for Samson. Because of his trust and devotion to God, nothing could stop Samson.
same is true for each of you. Because of your devotion and trust in God, nothing will be able to stop you. That doesn't mean there won't be hardships. That doesn't mean your life won't have pain. It will have pain and it will have suffering. But if you keep God first, you will make it through those and you will be more than a conqueror, even though there's pain ahead for you. But without knowing the theme of the Bible, you read the story and you think, this is really a weird story about magic hair. And I don't really relate to hair at all, much less magic hair. And it becomes a stumbling block. It becomes an obstacle where people look at the story and say, ah, I got no time for that. That just doesn't make sense at all. And they're missing the whole point of the story. The problem with Samson wasn't that he had his hair cut. The problem was he made a relationship more important than God. All of us can relate to that. Whether it be a possession, whether it be a career, whether it be a relationship. The great themes of this story are echoed throughout the entire Bible. In fact, is it not the reoccurring theme that happens to the people of Israel over and over and over and over again for thousands of years? That they let God not be first in their life. That they got distracted and say, oh, I want this more than God. Or I want this more than God. Or this is more important to me. And I can make up my own life and my own plan. I mean, just look at the story of Israel. It's that story over and over again. It's the same story for Samson. It's the same story for you and me. But if we keep our focus on God, if we realize in Him is my identity, my strength, my purpose, then we have the power of Samson. The same is true. We can see it over and over again with the children of Israel as well. You can look at the same with the different heroes. Look at King David. When his life was on track, he had the power and blessing, the identity of God. He lost it. The same with Samuel. The same with Moses. The same with the disciples. Now, they didn't have long braids of hair, but they had the same commitment that the story of Samson is all about. God is what my life is about. You take God out of my life, my life doesn't make sense. That was Samson's story. An angel of the Lord appeared to his parents before he was even born and said, this is the story of God. This is not going to be about you. It's not going to be about Samson. It's going to be about what God can do in someone's life if they keep him in the center of their life. It was a God story up until Delilah. Then it becomes a Samson story. God isn't first anymore. Look at the hardships, the ruin, the pain, the disaster. The same is going to be true for you and me. Some are going to ask, well, let's get down to the meat. Did Samson have magic hair or didn't he? And I'm saying, I think you're missing the point of the story. Now, if it's really a question about magic hair, I've got no problem with magic hair. I mean, if God can put the worlds in place, if he can create the galaxies and the stars and the earth, magic hair, that's easy. That's not a hard thing compared to everything else he's done. I got no problem with magic hair. But if we spend all our time talking about magic hair, we're missing the point and the value of the story. And it becomes an obstacle. You know, you talk about your friend, was she a Muslim? Uh, you know, yeah. this story, for example, she comes to this story, she can say, what is this all about? It becomes an obstacle and becomes a stumbling block. 
But if we can just like, okay, let's not focus on the magic here. Let's focus on the purpose, the message, the theme that is coming through here. Then she can relate to that. I can relate to that. We can all relate to that. The question is, do you let the themes guide you? God wants you to have a purpose. He wants you to have an identity. What does God want for us out of the story? In fact, when you read all the different miraculous stories in the scripture, what is, what is God's purpose for that? Is it for you to believe that there were people who blew a trumpet and they blew it so loud that the vibrations of the sound went through a wall in Jericho and crumbled the wall just because they blew a trumpet? Is that all he wants out of that story for you? Yeah, I mean, is that it, really? Or when he walked on water? Is that what God wants you to believe, that he's so powerful that he could walk on water? Actually, that's kind of easy for me to believe. But that does, believing that doesn't change anything inside me. He wants you transformed. He wants you changed by the story. He doesn't want you just to believe in the literal truth of the story. And some people make that what it's all about. And either for some, it becomes distracting in the fact that they do believe it and others don't. For others, it becomes distracting in the fact that I'm not buying that. It just doesn't make sense. Both sides kind of miss the value. Someone has said that the literal meaning is always the lowest meaning. Doesn't mean it doesn't have value in a place, but there's much more to be communicated. There's much more that God wants for you than just the literal meaning. It's a starting point and only a starting point. One author puts it this way. The Bible is the manger in which we find Jesus. That the whole purpose of the Bible is just to point us to the truth of who Jesus is. And we're not to get distracted. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not trying in any way to have someone question the authority of the scriptures. It's just the opposite. I want you to believe in their authority. To believe that they are the word of God. That they are inspired. And it's clearly God who is speaking to you through them. I know that that's true for me. That I believe in the authority of scriptures more now than I ever have in my life. But I still get confused. But I'm not as confused by my confusion as I used to be. I still have insecurities about the scripture. But I'm not as insecure about my insecurities. I can hold them. I can hold them even though I don't have answers for them. And I can say there's a bigger truth there. There's a message. There's a theme that comes through even my insecurities that I want to open my heart to. We talked last time about, well, two times ago, about whether you want your story to be a God story or whether you want it to be a you story. Who do you want your story to be about? Samson started out, this was all about God. And it was magnificent. And the power and the identity and the purpose of God, Samson's life, was, was making an impact to everyone. He got distracted. He said, ah, I'm going to make this about me. And the story ends in tragedy. And the same is true for you this week. Every day, you have the choice. Do you want your story to be about God? Do you want your story this day to be a God story? Or... You have the choice. I think I can handle this myself. I think I'm going to make today about me. 
I ask my request, myself that question regularly. And I try always to just remind myself, what I really want in my heart is for my life to be a God story. And that's what you really want. That's why you're sitting here. It calls to you. Sometimes you can't even articulate it. You don't even understand it. But it calls you. You want your life to be a God story. Say yes to that this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these friends and for your love for each one of them. I pray that you would heal the harm and that you would bless the good. And that each of us could feel that call deep inside us that you have put. That calls us to say yes to your story. May we say that yes this week. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes our presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org. 